My name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope, and uh, man, it is exciting to be with you today. Today, we're going to be launching and starting our brand new series called Greatness. Everybody say greatness. It's official. It's Christmas season. It feels like Christmas in the atmosphere, doesn't it? And uh, how many guys had great Thanksgiving? Still thankful? Come on, that's awesome. But I love the stars. I like, I actually like, if it's going to be cold, I like the snow. How about you? I'd rather have snow and cold than just rain and cold or just cold and cold. I like snow and cold. I also like the dark, but I like dark and stars. How about you like dark and stars? I mean, if it's going to be dark, dark and cloudy is no good, but dark and stars, there's something about the stars at night, and these stars are amazing. Today, I want to start with a, a verse that just kind of strikes wonder. That's what stars do. They, they, they strike awe and wonder, make you feel like a very tiny person in a very big world. Wouldn't you agree? They're like these huge, burning balls of gas, hundreds and billions of miles away. And they just make you feel so little because God is so big and the universe is so expansive. And uh, it's just like, wow, the greatness, the awe, the wonder. It's amazing. Isn't it amazing? It's amazing if you stop and think about that you're like on a ball of dirt that's perfectly located from the distance from a greatest star, the sun, that keeps us warm and all these crazy things. Like, it's incredible. It's amazing. And it happens all the time without us trying to keep it going. How many of you guys have plates in your life that you're spinning? And you have to like keep things going? There's so much that happens that you don't have to think about. There's so much that happens. And it's kind of awe-striking. Like, it's amazing. It's a wonderful, amazing thing if you stop and think about what we're living on and in and where we are and how perfectly located we are. And it's just incredible. The stars, I could talk about stars, but stars just make, blow my mind, okay? Planets and stars. It's an incredible thing, right? Today, let's go to the Bible. I'm better at talking about the Bible. <laughs> but, but I'll just tell you what, the Bible is so cool. I like this verse. It says this in Psalms 147.4, speaking about God. And it says, he counts the number of stars. He counts them. That's a big count, all right? And not only does he count them, he calls them by name. Today we're calling this message, Counted and Called. The expansiveness of the universe, the hugeness of our God. He counts and he calls. Tell your neighbor, you are counted, you are called. He counts the number of stars. He calls them by name, numbered and named. That's amazing, isn't it? numbered and named. They say in our galaxy alone, there are anywhere from 100 to 400 billion, with a B, stars, just in our galaxy, the Milky Way. 100 to 400 billion. That's a big gap, but it's a lot of stars, okay? And that's just the Milky Way galaxy. According to best estimates of astronomers, there are at least 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe. Like so far, we've seen 100 billion galaxies. And in our galaxy, there's 100 to 400 billion. You're catching this. So I want to read Psalms 147 one more time and just let, you, let it really sink in, okay? He counts the number of stars, y'all, and he calls them by name. He's got a name for every one of them. This is big. Everybody say, this is big. He counted and called. Let's go to Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1 for our text today. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I am your reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? See, I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, some cousin of mine, you know, somebody who's related to me. Then Abram said, look, just look. Look around, God. 
You have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is not my heir. Can you believe it, God? Look at this. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram saying, This one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside. And he said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars. He laid down a challenge. He said, Go ahead, count the stars if you're able to number them. By the way, I'm God, and I'm not only able to number them, I named every single one of them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, Abram did, and he counted to him for righteousness. I think my assignment throughout this greatness series is to change your point of view and get you thinking greater, expansively, outside of the limitations of your current lifestyle. I suppose that the reason it's difficult for us to think big is because if you start to think big, you have a great opportunity to grow disillusioned and discouraged, maybe even disappointed. And it's just safer not to dream big. It's safer not to look around. It's safer not to see what God says, especially to talk big. It's just safer not to talk a bigger game than you can live in. Don't risk it. Don't go for greater. Don't Try to be something wonderful. Just settle for good or whatever everyone else is calling good these days. And instead of a great, expansive kingdom perspective, we stick with a good, predictable, controllable perspective. Do you want kingdom impossibility or controllable possibilities? We limit our lens to, you know, controllable possibilities. And the sooner you align with the king's perspective, the better. I believe that with all of my heart. The sooner you align with heaven's perspective, the better. See, we were not meant, the Christian life was not meant to be lived with a perspective from earth to heaven. It was meant to be lived from heaven to earth. And that's what we've been talking about in our last Lucha series. Heaven to earth dynamics. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in the heaven's greatness. And when you align yourself with the kingdom's perspective and the king's point of view, oh, baby, there ain't no devil in hell that can stop you. Come on. Even the fear of disappointment can't stop you. Even being disillusioned with people can't stop you. Even hope deferred and things not working out the way you planned can't stop you. Discouragement can't stop you from dreaming when you get a perspective from heaven to earth. That's point number one today if you're taking notes. Don't let the fear of disappointment stop you from dreaming anyways. Don't let the fear of disillusionment stop you from dreaming anyways. Don't let the fear of hope deferred, making your heart sick, stop you from dreaming anyways. Well, what if it doesn't happen? What if it does? What if it doesn't work out? What if it does work out? What if, it is, what if it's impossible? What if it's possible? Don't let the fear of disappointment stop you from dreaming. Turn to your neighbor and say, dream on. Get over the fact that you could be discouraged in life, that you could be disillusioned in life, and believe big. Dream big. Go for greatness. Don't play it safe so you don't get hurt. Don't set low expectations so that you can exceed your patheticness. You set a really low bar, you feel really good about false, false Growth steps. You know what I'm saying? Shoot for the stars. Come on, dream big. Go for impossibilities. Look now from a new point of view. Check your perspective before you wreck yourself with your perspective. Don't just look at what you know. Look at where you'll grow. Look at where you can go. Don't just look at what you know. Look at what you don't know. 
Look at the things that don't make sense. Look at the things that are impossible. So where'd you get your perspective? That's a good question today. As we're starting this greatness series and we're talking about our lens from earth to heaven, I want to ask you this morning, where did you get your perspective from? Where did it come from? Is it from the heavens or is it from the earth? Where did you get your point of view anyways? Your point of view anyways. Because we all have them. We all have points of view. We all have opinions. We all have our normal. We all have what's weird to us and what's normal to them. We all have gauges with which we assume our words, our thoughts, and our limitations and make them all happen. Those strong opinions we have came from somewhere. In 2021, we're living with, with people where, where their opinions like as teen colors and their opinions are, are, are truth. You know what I'm saying? Like their feelings are their truth. Their, 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 their emotions are their truth. It's like, this is what I stand for. And there are strong opinions, strong points of view, viewpoints from earth to heaven. One of the most difficult things you could do is to give yourself permission to succeed past your point of view. To disagree with yourself in the future. I want to reserve the right to disagree with myself in the future. I want to reserve the right to be wrong in my present. Is anybody like so stuck on your point of view it is paralyzing you? And you don't even realize it because you're right? What if you're not right? What if, what if there's something greater out there? You know what I'm saying? Oh, he's so young. He's so sweet, isn't he, honey? Oh, he's just got this big, expansive mindset. You know, what if you were right, but you weren't right? I want to give you permission to prosper like you've never prospered before. I want to give you permission to run in a direction you never ran before. Like Psalms 1 talks about this permission to prosper. You're going to have to cross that initial line in order to go where you've never gone before. It's all right if I do better than what I saw before me. It's all right if I do better than anybody that came in my circle, my, my, my influence realm, my, my normal, normal stuff, what's normal to me. It's okay if I exceed expectations. I don't have to carry on the legacy of nothingness and brokenness in my family. It's okay if I break out the norms of which I'm so point of view accustomed to. It's okay to let go of my limited lens. If it's been hard for you to, in the past, Today, I want to ask you, why is everybody else's opinion your goal? Why is everybody else's opinion your goal in life? What does it matter? If they like what you're doing, it doesn't matter. And if they don't like what you're doing, it doesn't matter. You still got to do it, whether they like what you're doing or not. You know, anybody who's going to be successful in life and maintain their sanity is a person that's willing to accept the reality that you're going to be misunderstood. That going for greater will put a target on your back of misunderstanding. You see, people's point of view about your life is just their point from their view. People's point of view of your life is just their points from what they see. In other words... They won't understand your choices until they have to sit in your chair. They won't understand your reactions until they live in your realm and they don't live there. They won't understand your activity until they operate in the air that you breathe. Because people's viewpoints about your life is just their points 
from their view. If they don't have your view, they won't understand your points. If they don't have your view from heaven to earth, they will never understand your points. They're like, what are you doing with your time? Where are you investing your talent? What are you giving your treasure to again? Because they will keep questioning because their points from their view do not align with your view from your points. So you must be willing to accept the reality that moving up in life comes with the price of being misunderstood. Write it down. Scratch it in. Say something. If you're going to move up in your life, you will be misunderstood. If you're going to go for greater, people will go after you. And the truth is, their opinion has not hindered or helped you either way. So why would anybody live a life victim of how somebody else feels about what they're doing? If you're ever going to be free to flourish, you got to build a new framework in your mind that's bigger than your current one. As a man thinks in his heart, so his life unfolds. If you're ever going to get a freedom to flourish, you got to change the framework. So I ask again, where did you get your point of view? What garbage are you saying is gold? And what gold is actually just garbage? Well, pastor, I'm believing in quality, not quantity. Okay. Who taught you that? Who taught you that quality is more important than quantity? Show me that in the Bible, please. Show me where that perspective came from. Well, bless God, I believe in discipleship and quality, okay? I'm going to make a real disciple. It's not about quantity, not about numbers. Numbers are not my thing. God wrote a whole book called Numbers. You need to get over yourself. Because he has the capacity to quantity and quality. I mean, a lot of quantity. I'm talking about a numbered limitation like Abram had. You know, Abram was like, numbers aren't my thing. He's like, I want to show you some numbers. Just step outside for a second. Abram, I know you don't think numbers are important. I know you're just asking for the lowest common denominator in your life. I know you're just begging and pleading me for one. Look at the stars. So shall your descendants be. I got numbers like you couldn't even dream, man. Well, I believe in quality, not quantity. I'm going to raise, raise one really, really, just give me one really good thing to do well. Okay, okay. You limited, lensed, loser. Loser. Don't lose when you're called to win. Don't settle for less when you're born for greater. We're talking about greatness, people of hope. God comes to Abram. The numbers guy. I got the numbers, okay? Abram's like, I understand numbers, and I don't have one. Look, God, I don't even have one. Because Abram is falling for the same trick that so many Christians are falling for today. He's locked into his own limited experiences and his own lenses and his own circumstances. He's thinking about his bills and his problems and his sex life and his surroundings and his mentality and his paradigm is just give me one baby. God's saying, no, I'm a lot bigger than that. I don't care what you want. I will never give you what you want. That's so limited. His number after years of hope deferred. His number after years of being disillusioned with all the promises of God and discouraged about everything that's not working the way it was promised to him. His dream, his expectation, his number has been reduced to one. Just one. That's not Eleazar. The church's numbers 
Most of them in America would be happy and think they're successful if they just had 1% of their city. Which, by the way, people call this a larger church, and it doesn't even have 1% of our city. And our, our people are like, man, we should split this up. It's too big. Churches that are too big. I'm like, are you kidding me? We don't, we're not even asking for 1%. That's where your limited lens is, 1%. Just imagine asking God for 10% of our city. That would be a church of 8,000 people. Wow, whoa, wow, wow. And that's so huge. But it's not because 90% are still lost as a goose. And you're, you're worried about one? Just give me 1% of success. Oh, it's getting too big. Are, are you kidding? It's not even 1%. We're still going to give away our children to Eleazar and lose them to the world. We're literally losing everything. And we're still asking for one? I looked at the place, you know, I look at the place he called me to, and I say, I'm not okay with the number one. Are you okay with number 1%? I'm not okay with another Christmas season that starts and ends with a one. You know, if we're not here, Christians, to win everybody to Jesus, we'll just say that this Christmas. Let's just go on to glory and let somebody else do a better job than we ever could believe for. This 1% is lame. We can get content, right? We can get so content right here. We think, oh, man, this is so great. Look at this greatness. Great presence, great people, the church is growing, it's bigger than we've ever seen it before. Wow, we're doing a great job. Just go ahead and, yeah, great, great job. We don't even have 1%, but I'm so not content. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, he's not content. See, he's born for greatness. I believe this garbage. We're born for greatness, people of O. We're on the planet, in our city, called, anointed, and appointed for more. I did not become a follower of Jesus to dream small and feel better about myself and my little mediocrity over your lamer mediocrity. You say numbers don't equal greatness, and I understand what you're saying, but I also understand that we serve a God who counts and calls by name. He counts and he calls. This is not just about numbers. It's about names. It's not just about stats. It's about souls. Every number has a name and every stat has a soul. He's numbered them and he's named them. He's numbered them and he's named them. He's counted them and he's called them. They're not just about stars. This is about people. If he's willing to do it with stars and sparrows and hairs on your head, I bet you he's willing to do it with your soul. You are counted and you are called by name. And he counts the massive and he counts the minuscule. That's what makes him so great. The massive and the minuscule. Not only does he count the stars, he counts the strands of hairs on your head. Don't tell me he's not big enough for both quality and quantity. Don't tell me how you're going to make disciples the right way. Don't argue or excuse yourself from the great dream he has for you because you've created a dumb dichotomy. And you're piercing yourself on the horns of a, a bad decision over here to believe small and a bad decision over here to believe small. A dichotomy that says, I'm more interested in quality than I am quantity. No, 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 no. Our God is big enough for both. Tell your neighbor, he's big enough for both. I'm talking about church reality, but I'm also talking about your reality. I'm trying to get you to see that God shows up with greatness in the massive things in your life and the minuscule things at the same time. That's point number two. God's greatness is seen in the massive and in the minute at the same time. He numbers and he names. Massive, 
Numbers in the billions. Minute names for each star. Massive counting, minute calling. So don't minimize our God to just one or the other. And excuse yourself, because really what it comes down to is you excusing yourself from dreaming with God. What it really comes down to is I don't need to go for greater because I'm good with me. You shouldn't be okay with mediocrity. And mediocrity starts with me. 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 You put the me in mediocrity. Because who cares? I like that verse. He's like, who cares if you win everything and do all this and you don't even have anything bigger than what you own yourself. You don't even own it yourself. It's like, come on, own it yourself, but get bigger than just me and mediocrity. Don't minimize God. You were born for greatness. Don't settle for goodness sake. No, they say in books, I like that book, Good to Great. I think it's by Jim Collins. He's like, you're born for greatness. So don't settle for goodness sake. You're born for greatness. Don't settle for good, for goodness sake. Instead, step up. Take hold of that which he took hold of you for. You're here for a reason. And I believe this Christmas season, <laughs> Jesus isn't the reason. You are the reason. Well, I believe, bless God, brother, Jesus is the reason for the season. No, no, no. Actually, you're alive in 2021 to be the reason for the season that other people's lives change. And Jesus is like, I know I'm the reason for the season. Can we please just get to doing something greater than what you've seen before? Do something that aligns with my character, who I am, and what I have for you. Stop deflecting and saying, Jesus is the reason. Say, no, no, no. I am the reason. I'm going to change lives this year. I'm going to do a bigger lensed lifestyle than I've ever done before. I'm going for greater. But God comes to Abram in in Genesis 15.1 and he says, After these things, the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Abram, I'm your reward, man. You get me. Congratulations. You get the greatest of the greatest, the goat of all times, the the greatest, right? You You know what God is saying here? God is saying to Abraham, I am the goat and I am your gift. You just won the jackpot, bro. You get me. This possibly, perchance, is the greatest promise that's ever been given in the entire Bible. I am your exceedingly great reward. God didn't say, I'm going to bless you. I'm not going to hook you up. He says, I'm going to give you me. I'm going to wrap myself up and put myself under the Christmas tree this season so you can open me up. And there is no greater gift than who I am. And Abraham's response is shockingly close to some of our response. Genesis 15 2. What good are all your blessings? I don't even have a son. A little me centric. What did she say? God of the universe. Here I am. I'm your reward. What good are all your blessings? Shoo, what happened to you, Mr. Abram, Debbie Downer? Yeah? Merry Christmas. What attitude is this? You know what Abram's referencing? The first three words of Genesis 15. After these things. That's what he's referencing. After these things. Do you know what these things are? It's almost two decades of things. Let's just walk through them for a second. Between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, it's arguably two decades, 20 years. Four times, four times, God comes to Abram on different occasions, four times in 20 years. The first time God says in Genesis 12, 1, get out of your country. 
away from your family, away from your limited lens, away from your point of view, and from your father's house that's been ingrained in you to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I'll make your name, your name great. See, you want to make my name great? I want to make your name great, Abram, and you shall be a blessing. I am blessing you to be a blessing to others, and your name will be in stars, and your name will be in bright lights. Abram, the blesser. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Watch out now. Do not mess with the Lord's anointed. I will come after the people that come after you, and I will bless the people that get behind you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a pretty great promise, wouldn't you say? Abram's pumped, and he goes, he goes, and he goes, and he launches, and he leaves his limited paradigms once and for all. He burns his bridges out of my father's house, and later God comes to him again. Genesis 13, 14. Lift your eyes. Sounds familiar. Look now. Look up. Lift your eyes now, and look from the place where you are, northward, uh, southward, I don't know, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I'll give to you and your descendants forever. These are some serious prophecies, serious promises, and he's getting pumped. Wouldn't you be pumped? A few years later, God comes again. Now Lot, his, his you know, relative is gone. God says, now walk the land. All the land is yours. I know we split it up, and he took that, and you took that. He says, all the land is yours. Genesis 13, 7. Arise, walk the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you, Abram. He goes, yeah. But by the time we get to Genesis 15, all of those promises are completely unfulfilled 15 to 20 years later. He's the same joker he was two decades ago with no offspring, He's supposed to be the father of nations. He has no kids. His pet's heads are falling off. And after a while, Abram starts developing an attitude. I've been in, my, I've been in church my whole life, Lord. I come every Sunday faithfully. And all these prophecies and all these promises, all these prophecies. And uh, sure, I'll go to another church service and I'll listen to another great message. Go ahead, Nate. Preach your best sermon. Wonderful greatness. I like the stars. Really cute. Give me what you got. Sing a song. Make me laugh. Nothing will change because I've been there before. Go ahead. You want to prophesy God's word over my life? You want to get me out of my limit? Go ahead. Nothing's going to change, man. I've been around this block and I ain't no hollaback girl, right? Go ahead. Pretty good message. Relatively entertaining. He kept my attention, sweetheart. Look at him go. Fantastic. But nothing's going to really change. Because I know how this works. <laughs> I've heard this before, Genesis 15, Abram says. By the time we get to Genesis 15, some argue that Abram was 95 years old. Nobody here is 95, maybe one, maybe two, but not a lot of us. So now we got a decade or more of unfulfilled promises. How many church services have you been to? How many messages have you heard? How many prophecies have you received? How many promises from God are going to be unfulfilled? And after a while, if we're not careful, even subconsciously, we begin to develop an attitude similar to Abram's. We develop an attitude. You know what? I've been there. I did that. I got the t-shirt. I've done it all before. I've heard it all before. I, isn't this a cute young man, honey? He's 34 and he doesn't know any better. He thinks he's going to change the world for Jesus. 
He doesn't know it's going to be a long time. He doesn't know it's going to be a lot of hard work. And barely anybody's going to be reached because nobody wants Jesus. Stronghold. But he's so sweet, isn't he? He'll learn. Hope I never do. I hope I never become as jaded as you. See, Abraham's got an attitude. He's got an attitude, subconscious attitude, and, and, and an out loud attitude, okay? Because he's supposed to be, supposed to be, hope deferred makes the heart sick. He's supposed to be the, the father of many nations, but he's got an attitude with God. Why? Because he's been there, done that, and in all of his experiences, he realized talk is cheap. You might not understand this. You might just think of all the times you've said this to me. But stop saying, that was a great reminder today, Pastor. I really loved your message today. It was a great reminder, a reminder of an unfulfilled expectation. It's not a revelation. It's not a transformation. It's a reminder. And you keep on going back for more reminders and living in less revelation than you've ever experienced in your life. And you get more and more jaded to Jesus and his power and his majesty and his greatness and his capacity and ability in your life. You're like, yeah, a great reminder. For what? To go live the life you've always lived with nothing changing? I'm sick of reminders. Don't you dare give me any reminders. I want the revelation of who Jesus is today. What the Spirit of God is saying today. Who he is alive in my life today. Well, I heard that back in 1985. Stop it. Just because it's been of no effect to your life since 85 doesn't mean you know something. Knowing is not the same thing as experiencing knowing. Because there's a word in the Bible to know God. It's called gnosko. It's experiential knowledge. It's revelational knowledge. It's rhema teaching, rhema word, living word, right now word. And then there's knowledge. I know about that thing. I've heard that before. You know what Abram is? He's frustrated. I've heard that before. I love that. And he's on his fourth reminder, and he's like, great reminder, God. Not really. Stop it. What good are all your blessings to me? I need somebody in this room to say, what good are all your blessings to me? I need somebody watching online to say, what good is all this garbage for? What really changes my life? And you, have, you serve a God who responds to that and says, I promise you. And I am a man that I should not lie. I am a God who is good for his word. You can take it to the bank. I will do amazing things, greater things than these in and through your life. Don't you quit on me. Our God rises to challenge. He calls. He says, you test me now in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven. You bring your full tithe in the storehouse and you challenge me. You ask me. You challenge me. And I will bless you, and blessing you will be blessed. You will be a blessing to all the nations. He says, Melchizedek, you tie to Melchizedek before the law. Abram, you're the man. I'll, I will bless you. You want to mess with God? Challenge him. What good are all your blessings? And he's like, I've heard all the messages. I've heard all the preaches. I've heard all the prophecies. And these grandiose statements, cute cliches, all the points. He wants something to shift says we're not going to go into 22 the same he wants something to change in his life what the heck am i doing this for so he's resolved just to hang on and hold out for just one kid that'd be the worst 
But that's his resolve. And that's what his reward is. God's saying, I'll give you the world. You got me. Congratulations. Merry Christmas. I am your exceedingly great reward. He's like, I just want one kid. I just want one. I just want one kid. And I'm determined to hang on and hold on for one kid. I believe I've been sent on assignment from God today to talk to some leaders, some business people, some coaches, some doctors, some educators, some moms and some dads who have come to a settling in your vision and your destiny. You just settled. You've determined because nothing has happened up till this point. I will simply hope for just one lame canned thing. So we tell Dot, keep talking greatness. Gives me goosebumps. Keep talking greatness. I know how to minimize it down anyways. I know how to take revelation and make it a reminder. I know how to take powerful and just make it preaching. I know how to, I know how to take this great huge thing and just settle into Monday. I know how to minimize your word down to be able to live in my reality without going outside my tent. What good are all these blessings? I don't even have a kid. And one of all my stuff and all of my inheritance is going to go to Eleazar. I don't even like Eleazar. And we use the same ridiculous word that Abram used with God. Look. <laughs> Genesis 15, 3. Look. God, you come down here and look from earth to heaven. You have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. No one born in my house. Abram is sitting in his tent, surrounded by his sleeping bag. And I hate camping, just for the, for the record. He's in his sleeping bag. He's got his pillow. Dirty, earth-bound flip-flops at the end by the door, you know. Saying, look around, Lord. Look at the nylon. Look at the canvas. I don't even know what to call it. What's his tent called? It's not canvas. It's something else. Look at the canvas. God, look. My children are crazy. My wife needs help. God, would you please help her? She needs help. Look, work is the worst. Look, nobody wants to work in 21. <laughs> look, my church can't grow. Look, my, my accounts are empty. Just look at it. Have you ever been there before? Where you told God to take a look at what he's letting, letting happen in your life? Lord, come. Come down here right now and look at this. I'm a church. You're talking great. Look at this. Look at my circumstance. Look at my situation. Look at the last 20 years of empty promises. Look what I've been willing to walk through. My experiences have proven to me, and I have developed a proper point of view through my experiential knowledge. Come see what I see. As if God needs to come down and look through your perspective. And somehow, God is going to get an epiphany. Oh, shoot. I had no idea. This really does suck. You're right, Abram. It's bad down there. You should hunker and bunker. Do you have canned soup in your basement? I had no, forget all the promises. Forget what I've been saying to you for 20 years. There's nothing I can do about that. It is rough down here. You better just hold on, brother. Let's do another series on the end times. Hold on. It's going to be hard. Following Jesus is the worst decision of your life. Just hold on. Life is hard down here. And we say it's good, but it's hard. You go to church, you say God's good, but you know it's hard. 
Just hold on. Maybe one kid, if you're lucky, somehow, by chance, God will face will shine upon you and he'll favor you and, and, and Sarah will somehow get just hold on for one Abram says look Lord I have no kids look at my lack of greatness I'm one pathetic loser and all the audacity the audacity this man has to look and to tell the looker of all the ages look the audacity of Abram to tell the looker of all the ages, look. But how many of us in this room have developed the same attitude? It's not on purpose. It's just after 20 years of disappointment and going through the motions and having a form of godliness and no power thereof. And look, 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 look. And we're feeding on the things that surround us. We're feeding on the things that surround us. Our limited lens is coming from the things that are real. Like, like, like this barely get by survival mentality. This just give me one existence. Just give me one existence is all that God somehow has for us. It's just the way it is. I challenge that. It's just the way it is. You'll learn. You'll see someday. It's just the way it is. Those are definitive statements to say your lens is locked up, sweetie. And it is so lethal to God's purpose for your life. Limiting to God's limitless potential and as a man believes in his heart and as a man looks with his eyes so his life stays limited handcuffing the highest power in the world handcuffing the greatest God the God of the ages with your limited lens perspective Abraham looks and he says, God, look around, look around, and all these empty promises, all these words that you've said, and some of you are determined to forget what God has said. And you despise the same promises that you were excited about because it's been too long. Because those promises have actually become your nemesis. God's promises have actually become the nemesis that frustrates you to no end because they remind you of the kind of faith that you used to have when you were young and dumb and broke too. Young, dumb, broke, leave everything, lose your life completely, believe everything, live in the faith zone of impossibilities. Abram says, Lord, you, you need to look because those promises are my nemesis. I hate what you're saying to me. Because look, now if I'm God, which I'm not, and you're glad about that, but if I'm God, I'd come down, put the smack down on this boy. You want me to look? That's me being God, okay? You want me to look? I'll come down there and take your looker from you. You'll never look again, you little pathetic loser. You little looker. You telling me to look? I'll show you what looking's like. But God is rich in mercy. Anybody here for the daily series? And he's so long in suffering. And in his kindness and his gentleness, the Bible says he comes down to the patheticness of where this man is at. And he meets you where you're at and you're looking. He meets you where you're at and you're handcuffing the highest. He comes down on your level. He's a high priest that comes low to help you in your time of need and to help you. He's a, he's a God of empathy. He's a God of compassion. He's a God who comes down from his world and he meets Abram in his limited context. He says to Abram, just listen to me. This shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. You are going to have a boy. Eliezer is not going to have all your stuff. 
I know it seems like 20 years of failed promises, but let me tell you the truth. You have greatness in you. There's greater things in you. You're going to have a son. Your seed. Now remember, Abram's like, all right, here we go again. Thanks, Lord. So God sees that. It's not going to be sufficient this time anymore for Abram just to hear God. God's going to have to come down and kind of wake him up a little bit. Give him a, a vision for greatness because it's just not working anymore, this whole promise emptiness thing. So the scripture indicates that God comes down into Abram's tent. He literally gets in the tent with Abram. And again, when Abram told God to look, he was in a tent. <laughs> a tent represents man's limited perspectives. We got a lot of tent preachers, a lot of tent parents, a lot of tent students, a lot of tent leaders, raising tent children, having tent marriages because they're safe and predictable and pathetic. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of my tent. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. I want to live life, and you might say this is cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway. I want to live life under the open sky. I want to dream the dreams of God. I want to take the limits off. I want to let the loose, I want to loose the greater one in me to launch me into the greatness that I was destined for. I'm ready to go for great. I'm ready to cast off comfort. I'm actually a little ticked at my tent. Anybody ticked at your tent? Other people's tents? I hate them. I see them. I just want to rip holes through them. That's what I'm trying to do in this series. I'm ready to go for greater. Ready or not, anybody tired of their tent? Never mold into mediocrity. Never mold. That's point number three. It's time. Now is a good time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of breakthrough. Today is your day of freedom. It's time to get tired of your tent. If you're not tired of tent living yet, today's a great day. It's time to get a holy frustration. God gets in Abram's tent. He brings him outside. Read the text. He goes in there, and he pulls this man out of his perspective. He pulls him away from his limited lens. I think that's part of my assignment again in this series, to help pull you outside of self. I love how God comes down to our level and he pulls us out of our place of comfortability. What we call home. I just want to go home so I can be safe. I want to go home. It's been a long day. I want to go home. It's been a long 20 years. I want to be home. I just want to get in my cozies and my comfies and be home. And God's just like, yeah, let's take those cabin socks off and come out here. I got something to show you got something better for you. And he disrupts and he disturbs the status quo of comfort. Today he's coming down in the trash of your tent and he's saying, let's go. Get out of here. This sucks. This, I don't care if you're ready or not. I'm pulling you out today. I'm bringing you outside. Come out. I'm bringing you with me. Come on, baby. Let's go. You are meant for more than tent living. The Bible says in Genesis 15, 5, and he brought him outside. He said, look now. Which direction? Towards heaven. Man. Look now. You look now. You tell me to look. You look now towards heaven. And God comes into his tent, pulls him out, covers his eyes on a beautiful starry night, and says to him, are you ready? Are you ready? Look now. 
What's God saying to him? This is how I see it, Abram. Welcome to my world. I can show you the world. Take you wonder by wonder, over, sideways, and under. Welcome to my world. A whole new world. <laughs> Don't you dare close your eyes. A new fantastic point of view. No one to tell us or where to go. Because now I'm in a whole new world. I lost my voice this week. Brought him outside. Look now. Your point of view affects everything you do, Abram. He says, look now. Look now. Look now. This is my favorite part, God says. And he brought him outside. said, look now toward heaven. And he challenged him. He threw down a challenge. If you don't like challenge, you will not like following Jesus. You will not like following God. So he takes him out of his comfort. And he challenges him. Like every good leader would do. Everybody you should be attracted to in your life will challenge you. Pick your friends differently. The ones who comfort you aren't your friends. The only people who care about you challenge you. The only people who want to see you go for greater in life actually challenge The people who love you enough to say something. God takes them outside and says, I love you too much to let you sit and settle in comfortability. I'm going to challenge you. And he gave him a challenge. An impossible challenge. I love that. It doesn't make sense challenge. It's literally impossible to do what God is asking him to do. He says, count the stars if you can. Count the stars if you are able to number them. Abraham looks around at this beautiful starry night. and He says, okay, look now. Abraham opens up. The stars are being, what's God saying? This is how I see it, okay? He says, why don't you count them if you can? He's like, I, I can't. One, two, three. <laughs> I don't know if I counted that one. Four, five, six. He's like up to 300. He's like, oh, shoot, I got spun around. <laughs> you can't. You can't do it. Exactly. Exactly. You can't make it happen. You can't figure it out. You can't count the stars. I can. But you know, I wanted to be on an impossible assignment. I'd rather be outside and counting than inside and doubting any day of the week. That's point number four today. I'd rather be counting outside than inside and doubting. I love impossibilities. They fire me up. Count them if you can, he says. God is saying, oh, welcome to my world. Count them if you can. Welcome to the way I see it. Count them if you can. Welcome to my will for your life. Welcome to impossible living. Welcome to the free fall life to the fullest. Count them if you can. Welcome to the great destiny that I have preordained from before the foundations of the world for your life. Count them if you can. No eye has seen it. No ear has heard it. No one can fully know or comprehend or understand the good things that I have in store for you. Count them if you can. Welcome to your wake-up call. We weren't even expecting it. 
church. Ah, well, this is Sunday morning church, and you're calling me out on how disappointed I am with God. Welcome to your wishes come true. Welcome to the wonder. Welcome. Why don't you just go ahead and count them if you can? Abraham's got an attitude, says God. So God says, count them if you can. You got an attitude with me? I got an attitude with you. Count them if you can. Let's go. Look now. Okay, count them if you can. You want to tell the looker of all the ages to look at something? You count them if you can. You look at something. I'll show you. Count the stars. Yeah, keep counting. I pulled you out for a purpose. I pulled you out for a purpose. I've called you into greatness for a purpose. Keep counting. Get a bigger vision. Get a bigger look. Believe big again. Believe big again. Stop getting reminders. Start getting revelation. Stop getting reminders. Start to get a revelation. Are you starstruck yet? It's time. Tent time is over. Get out of your stinking thinking tent. Have you ever been in a situation you thought wouldn't change? And all of a sudden, God comes along and pulls you outside. You're like, oh, shoot. Have you ever been pulled apart in this place of transition between your pathetic tent, tent nylon, and this amazing torn from your tent? Have you ever felt torn from their tent? Where everything that used to be okay is no longer okay because you're starting to believe again? My perceptions are not the same anymore. It's ruining my life. I can't walk through Wegmans anymore. My ideas are not the same anymore. My, I, was, I was satisfied just to do this and to think this, and I act like I knew what was going on and where it came from, but now all of a sudden it's, everything's gotten stirred up and flipped upside down, and I'm counting the impossibilities. I'm not satisfied to live like mom and dad did. I'm not satisfied. I want something else. I'm leaving good. I'm going for great. I'm not satisfied for my think tank of friends. Not satisfied with this friend circle that keeps me in the same place of comfortability. I don't like what's happening in my life anymore. You might be saying, what is going on in my life? When you get torn from your tent, you're like, who am I? And what is happening to me? And what is going on? And the Lord is saying, I'm pulling you out of your tent. It's time to be shaken and struck by the greatness of the stars. Until what you're sitting in, you can't sit in any longer. And what you are relying on, you can't rely on any longer. And what you used to have with Jesus just doesn't cut it anymore. And all of a sudden, there is no comfortable place. No comfortable place in your tent. There's a disciple who wanted to follow Jesus. He saw all the cool miracles, all the cool stuff that Jesus was doing. In Luke 9, 58, Jesus says, wait a minute, before you follow me, you have to understand foxes have holes and birds have nests. But if you follow me, the Son of Man has no place of comfortability. If you really follow, there is no place. I don't stop moving. I've already been stirred up. I can't rest while people rest. I have no place to lay my head. I'll go to Bethesda, but I can't stay there. I'll go to Judea, but I can't stay there. I'll walk through Jericho, but I can't stay there. If you're going to be with God, you're going to keep moving forward. I will work in Jerusalem, but I can't stay there. Following God means you can't sit in your tent anymore. Tell your neighbor, you got to do something different, man. You got to get out of reminders and into revelation. You can't hear this word and not do something. You can't get this teaching and not move something. You can't get this word and not evolve into something. You can't wait, walk with God and stay where you started. You got to go outside and see the stars. Go for greatness. He's pulled Abraham out and he's all stirred up for greatness because I can't run with people that are not stirred up. I can't sit with people who like to sit in tents. I can't work with people that won't be moved. 
I can't stay with people that aren't ready to be stretched. I can't attach myself to comfortable with less than what we were created to be. Come on. Is there anybody else in here who's tired of their tent? Thank you, Mom. <laughs> I want more than what you built, Mom. Thank you, Dad, but I want to be more than where you left off. There's something calling me, wooing me, drawing me, disturbing me, shaking me, and it's the stars. And every time I try to sit down with less than what I was created to be, something frustrates in me. And I got to look up and look again. And I got to look up and look again. And I got to get a different lens. And I got to get a different perspective. I got to see something differently. I got to because I'm starting to believe that there's more to me than what you see. I'm starting to believe that there's more to me, sir, than what you see. Is anybody there with your coworkers, with your boss, with your family dynamics? I'm starting to believe I'm a better dad than this. I'm a better employee than this. I'm a better leader than this. And if I stay in this tent, I will never be what I was created to be. I'm starting to believe again in what God has called great in me. I must get out of this tent. I got to get. I will not. So don't be discouraged by discomfort. Welcome it. Draw in discomfort. Don't be discouraged by a holy disruption pulling you out of your tent. God talks about holy frustration. It's a good thing. Take your eyes off tense surroundings and take a step outside of your paradigm. Let your limitations be challenged. Let your experiences that you preach to other people be challenged and exterminated. And start to say, I have never realized how small this is. How limited this is. How not big enough for both this lens is. Greatness will demand more of your lens. And you can't just hang out with people who look like you, who talk like you, who vote like you think like you and work with you it's too small it's too small I know we live in a small place but there's not smallness in us there's greatness I want to go to this verse I love this by Paul and I'm, I'm skipping a whole bunch of content because it's late thank you for sticking with me let's go to I think it's in Philippians I think it's in Philippians it's it's too small everybody say it's too small let's get it on the screen Philippians yeah Philippians 3 I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do this is not the verse. I'm sorry. Let's, go to, let's even skip further and go to Colossians or Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, this is good. Here it is, 2 Corinthians. We're skipping a lot. So here, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 11, Dear, dear people of hope. Yeah. I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter into this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. Let's read it again. i got to read it one more time. Just, I know we're not done with it. I guess we're, dear, dear people of hope, <laughs> I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter into wide open, spacious living. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from in you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. You know, you can be in a small place and live in a great way. I'm speaking it, Paul says, as plainly as I can with great affection. I'm not mad at you. I'm in love with you and your potential. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Don't die in your tent. Die in your fear. Don't Settle in your experience. 
Don't live in your excuses. You were created to be in a large place. You were born in a tight place, but that's as tight as it should ever be. How many ever came through a tight place when you were born? I was born in a really tight place with the cord wrapped around my neck. I came out blue. So I heard. I wasn't wasn't conscious. I wasn't really aware. You were born in a tight place with narrow perspectives and narrow lenses and really little holes you're looking through and ideas that are beneath your potential. But once you come out of there, just stay out. It's star counting season. The challenge has been dropped this Christmas. Count the stars because there's more in you than what the tent will accommodate. Burn the tent. Don't die in your now. Don't die counting stitches in your tent, seams in your tent. Live going for greater. Count the stars in the sky. If you're going to count something, count something that matters. Count and call. Counting and calling. Numbering and naming. I think it's important. The first thing that Abraham, or the, 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 the first person on the planet had to do was, was like, well, Noah had to count, right? But Adam just had to name things. You call it what it is. Adam's assignment from God, first assignment, first big job for Adam, name the animals. Name everything. That's crazy. You're created to number and to name. Big assignment for Moses, or for Noah. Number them, choose and name them. Make sure they're in the, in the right spots. You were born for greatness. To count and to call. Count the stars if you can. He can. He has. He knows them. He knows them by name and by number. Can you? Can you get a greater vision this Christmas season for greater things that he will yet to do, yet do? We say it like this. Great things he's done. Great things he's doing. But great things he's yet to do. Go ahead. Let's go for greatness and not get so discouraged that we're asking for one kid. You can be that person in Hope Group that tells everybody and tells God how hard life is, I'm not going to do it. How hard winning people is, that's not going to be out of my mouth. How hard believing is, I'm not going to talk about that. Let's step out. Let's look now. It's in great contradiction to what you were called to be speaking, what you were called to be seeing, what you were called to be believing. Full of faith full of anticipation, good things from a good eye. That same number that we try to count to is the same number our descendants will be. So don't stop counting. Can you imagine today if I brought up my three kids, Theo, Dave, and little Wheezy. I got my three little babies, and I said, these are my kids, Theo, David, and and, and Eloise. And I just want you to know, I've got a great vision for my family. God has been speaking to me, and he's given me a great vision for their life. My vision is that 30% of my babies would live life to the fullest with Jesus. You would pick up your stuff and say, let's get out of here, honey. This guy is a psycho. This guy is messed up. And leave. You should leave. Why? Because, Nate, those are your kids. Wait a minute. Aren't all seven and a half billion people in the world, aren't those his kids? Didn't Psalm 147 say numbered and named? It's not about stars. It's about people. All of the people are his people. I don't believe that. The earth is the Lord's. Well, I believe in the call. There's only the call to select elect. And I know that uh, the earth is the Lord's. The fullness thereof. And all, all, all means all. All they that dwell therein. 
You want to know who belongs to the Lord? Every single person on the planet. Every single person in your workplace. Every single person in this city. Every single person in that city. Every single person in this valley belongs to the Lord. His thoughts are innumerable towards people. Those are his children. And he said this, I will that all men be saved. You thought you served a wimpy God. You serve an ambitious, powerful, motivated, jealous, zealous, ambitious, obsessive, amazing, powerful God. Quit limiting him to your lack of willingness to step outside. Quit limiting him to your lack of willingness to step out and say, everybody is just right for Jesus, and every single person belongs to him. And I will, not just him, what he wills, I will. He wills, I will. He wills, I will that all men be saved this Christmas. Oh, thanks for the great reminder. It's not a reminder. Because all the reminders leave you with nothing. It's a revelation of who you are and what your assignment is and why you're alive, sucking air on the planet. Come on, let's not be reminded. Let's get a revelation this Christmas season. What we're here for. Genesis 15.5 is about now. Count the stars if you can, so shall your descendants be. That's me. That's where I enter the story. I don't know if you know this, but Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons. And all of you who are horrified right now, I get it. I'm with you. But I am one of them. You count those stars. I am one of them. They are one of them. And so are they. And so are they. And so is that relative. And so is that person who's too far gone for Jesus. And so is that impossible addict. And so is that impossible marriage. And so is that impossible child. I'm telling you, I am one of them, and so are they. Let's just praise the Lord. Let's just go for greater. Let's just believe for bigger. Let's not settle. Let's not sit. Let's not soak. Let's get up and go. This is our story. This is our destiny. You look at the stars, you see my name. You see my reality. You see that I am one of them, and so are you. This is our future. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that the stars are not in your destiny because you are one of them. Your descendants, Father Abraham, will be grafted in. Those who are not a people will be a people. Read your Bible. It's in the book of Hebrews. Those who are not a people will be a called a people. Jew and Gentile grafted in, in the family of God. We are his children. He was talking about you and he was talking about me. We are the stars. We are so the descendants shall be. Let's get out of our limited context, out of our limited perspective. When we are walking miracles, we are walking impossibilities. We are walking realities that do not make sense. We are God on display. You are the light of the world. What? Me, the star? Yeah. yeah. You're what I was telling him about. You are the fullness of the promise. You and I are one of them. So are they. I say, let's praise the Lord and look up a little bit. Look up a little bit. God is so big and so awesome. He can help you in any circumstance in your life. You know, you might be just sitting here facing something that's insurmountable today, facing some challenge in your life, thinking, I don't know how I'm going to overcome this. This is impossible. Genesis 15, come on. I don't know if I'm going to make it through the season that I'm in. Genesis 15, come on. God is so big. He loves you so much. I want to challenge you today because I love you. Get outside of your 
content. Do not be content in your content. You may have been conned into tent living. Don't be content. Get out of the tent. Well, you don't understand what my first pastor told me. Okay, I forgot he was God. I forgot everything he said was straight from the Bible and there's never been another man like him. I forgot your dad was always right about everything. Oh, I forgot your experience is louder than God's unlimited expectations for your life. Oh, I forgot. You're right all the time. I forgot that. And God's sometimes right when it works out controllably for your good. I forgot. I just forgot. You've been conned into a tent. Don't get content there. Step out of the tent. Step out of the tent. Step out of the tent. God is so big. He loves you way too much to leave you there. Loves you way too much to leave you there. In your Christian comatose reality. Come on. I want to challenge you today. Get outside of your tent. Challenge comes from people who care. Get out of your limited context and see how big God is, how great God is, and the greatness that he promised. He said, I'm going to do greater things with you. Anybody believe what God says? Come on, I'm going to take him at his word. It's going to be accounted to me for righteousness. See how great God's love for you is.